KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. From KYW News Radio 103.9 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hello, welcome to Bridging Philly. The cries for action to quell the ongoing gun violence in Philadelphia is growing, and a group of pastors have stepped up and they're taking to the streets. We welcome Reverend G. Lamar Stewart to our program to discuss the Corners to Connection initiative. Continue to hear from the community. Where are the churches? It's Pride Month, and Philadelphia is celebrating 50 years of pride. Sharaday Howard sits down with the organizers of this year's Pride March and Festival. This is a space for everyone, and it's really about uplifting. Antoinette Lee's Philly Rising Changemaker this week is a mentor of young boys, working hard to change Philly's young boys into prosperous young men. Now that's a half hour you don't want to miss, and it's all coming up on Bridging Philly. Hello, and welcome to Bridging Philly. Well, the gun violence crisis in Philadelphia is showing no signs of letting up. And the cries for help and reform and, well, something to be done is getting louder. So much so that a group of pastors have formed an alliance to interrupt the violence and replace it with love, outreach, resources and mentoring. One corner at a time. Joining me today is Reverend G. Lamar Stewart. He is senior pastor at Taylor Memorial Baptist Church and founder of the Made Men Leadership Institute that is under the Taylor Made Program. It's a young men's mentoring program. Welcome to the program, sir. Thank you so much for having me today. And of course, you have with you someone who is in the Made Men Leadership Institute. That is Kaiseem Nicholson. He is an eighth grader at Mary McLeod Bethune Elementary School. Welcome to the program, Kaiseem. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Before we get into the Made Men Leadership Institute, we first want to talk about this initiative that you announced earlier this week. Yes. Um, and that is the Corners to Connection initiative. Now, before we even get into that, so I understand that you'll be celebrating 12 years as pastor at uh, Taylor Memorial. Talk about your journey and the growth of the congregation that you've seen. Absolutely. Thank you for that question. I've, I've been a senior pastor for almost 12 years. It will be 12 years. We will celebrate that 12 years the second Sunday of September this year. 12 years ago, I was a 25-year-old associate minister at the Enon Tabernacle Baptist Church. Uh, that's my home church. Uh, that's where I grew up. And uh, God called me to to Taylor. I, I was a youth revivalist around the city. And uh, one particular day, uh, the interim pastor of Taylor at the time uh, asked me to come and preach a youth Sunday service. I didn't know they were looking for a, a, a pastor. Uh, but after that youth Sunday service, church reached out to Dr. Waller and I and asked what I uh, submitted my resume for the candidacy process. And after nine months of preaching there and interviewing with uh, its membership, the church called me uh, in May of 2010, and I was installed uh, in September 2010. It's been an amazing journey. When I arrived, uh, there were couple of dozen members at the church. The church had just reopened its doors, and it went through some challenges during a partic- sure. particular period of time. Uh, but 12 years later, we are 200-plus members, and we have wow. uh, ministries uh, that's really focused on faith in God and strength in community. That's the, the, the vision and mission of our church, to increase our faith uh, in God, but also to strengthen our communities, both internal and external, right in our nice town, Tioga neighborhood. Well, of course, serving is your calling as you are a former police patrolman for the PPD. And 
I was curious, as pastor, how do people react when they find out your connection between with law enforcement, I should say? I, I have a, a calling to service. Prior to uh, entering into law enforcement, I spent some time in the military. I was in the Army for six years, served in Iraq in 2003, 2004. Came home and was in real estate for about seven years prior to being hired by the Philadelphia Police Department. For me, uh, I've always approached my work as being an advocate for vulnerable communities and marginalized people, no matter the position I served, for people who are impacted both by uh, violence as well as systemic racism, uh, by mass incarceration. Of course, for black and brown and poor people, we uh, we don't get to pick or choose which thing on any given day we are a victim of. And so oftentimes the same community is, is asking for support, whether it be for a family member was a victim of gun violence or because uh, someone in the family uh, had negative encounters with the system in some way. And so my calling and my commitment is to really serve, to support, and to be a bridge for community and its members, no matter uh, what capacity I'm serving at that time. Yeah, You have a unique set of eyes to look through, I guess, because of your experience and the fact that you are actually ministering to people and you've seen kind of all sides of the situation on the streets and in the community. Certainly. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's folks have been very receptive. Uh, you know, I think when you are committed to uh, making sure that your name is known for serving and being committed to people and not being so pro in an institution but being more pro the people you serve, mm-hmm. I think people can kind of separate and see uh, the difference per- perhaps between how you approach a particular job or a particular career versus maybe someone else. And so I've tried to stay true to who I am, true to my upbringing. I was raised by two amazing black women, uh, my my mother, uh, who will be 63 this year, my grandmother, uh, who will be 94 this year. And I've certainly been blessed to have them in my life. Now, of course, being a servant of the community means protecting uh, wherever possible. And this brings me to the plan that you announced uh, earlier in the week, which is the uh, Corners to Connection program. Uh, Tell me how exactly that worked and how it came about. Uh, Certainly. So, uh, you know, as a pastor and as a servant of the community, um, I've had the unfortunate responsibility, but I counted a privilege to respond to crisis incidents in the community, and particularly shootings, mm. receiving calls from family members or community leaders uh, to come to a house or to a scene or to uh, a hospital to meet a family. My mind goes back to um, a few years ago, a 10-year-old who was on his way home from school and was shot while walking with his uncle on his way home to school. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, he lived shot in the back of his head. I remember being on a particular block when a 16-year-old who was coming off the bus leaving the fashion district was heading home just a half a block from home and was 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 shot a half a block from a house and perished. And more recently, just last year, a 12-year-old young lady who was playing basketball right in the neighborhood where my church is in a nice town type of community, was going up for a layup and, and was tragically shot while uh, on the court. Oh, God. Um, mm-hmm. And I had to preach that funeral. Uh, that family asked me to come alongside of them and to be of support to them during a very difficult time. 
I continue to hear from the community, where are the churches? And um, while there are individual churches and individual pastors that are doing work as a collective, it it seemed to be a a desire from the community to see the churches coming together and really being boots on the ground, not just from a policy perspective or from a political perspective, but from a programming perspective, uh, really doing the necessary outreach to reach those who are at risk or those who are in the life. There are some incredible community organizations and faith leaders who are at this work each and every day, and uh, we certainly affirm and salute their work. Uh, Lord laid a burden on my heart, and this is not something I've done it before um, by, uh, as an individual and with a few friends, um, but this year I felt called to uh, really uh, put together a structure where I could reach out to local pastors and, and Christian leaders and advocates in a particular area of the city and identify uh, the hot spots in those areas. Uh, and for 30 days from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. at night, uh, when those corners are populated with folks, going out, engaging, having organic conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had an amazing experience last night, uh, we, which was night one. Night one, yeah. Uh, we had about over 25 volunteers that showed up, and we engaged uh, probably over 100 people last night between those who were on corners, but also folks who were just out in the neighborhoods, on the porches. They were shocked to see so many Christian leaders Walking down that street, folks were like, y'all out here right now at this time? <laughs> yeah. By the time we finished having wow. conversations and enjoyed laughter and shed tears, many were saying, y'all got to leave now? Really? Y'all coming back? Wow. And you you could see, you know, a barrier that was there just kind of came down. Mm. And folks were, wanted to talk. They wanted to share. They wanted to talk. There was a young man on a corner and, you know, he said, man, can I just, can I just get your number? I've been dealing with some anger issues. I've been dealing with frustration and I'm always having to be in this environment and it's tensed for these last 30 minutes. I felt like a human again Mm -hmm. and I just want to get some things off my chest. So being present created a space where we could talk about provision and opportunities, but we also could just bring peace in a moment to a neighborhood. And the good part of it is we was out there for two hours. And since the time we were out there last night to now, there's been no shootings in that area. Mm-hmm. So I do believe that when people of goodwill and people of faith are uh, in an environment and present and spreading peace and positivity, it just changes the energy in that space. And we've seen that so far uh, on our first night. We saw that last year when we were out, and we're looking forward to seeing that over the next 29 days as well. I have to say that, and I think it's important to note that people don't understand that in, in many African-American communities, when the horrors uh, of the the community become almost unbearable, we do look to our faith leaders. And the fact that you and fellow clergymen are out on the corners engaging with people, I feel that's really important to do. And I'm wondering if this is something you would encourage other pastors all across the city to step out from behind the pulpit, out of the church doors, and engage with the community like you are doing. I, I think there are a decent number of clergy persons and members of the faith community uh, that are doing work around their immediate church area. And I think it's important to to mention that because often when we uh, get into these spaces, sometimes as, as your work is being highlighted, it's easy to point at yourself and say, look at what I'm doing. Okay. Um, one of the reasons I brought Kasim here today, I made sure that we had a decent amount of 
faith leaders so that they can also talk about the work that they've already been doing. And I think anytime we have a space to highlight your own work, you ought to take that opportunity to encourage and support and salute the work of others. And so I want to first say I do believe that there are faith leaders and Christian leaders and advocates who are doing amazing work. But I, I would say coordinated efforts are certainly necessary in this moment particularly amongst the Christian community. Because I think when we come out in in large number, when we come out unified, if we're saying that we need unity in the community, we're saying that we need peace in the community, we need to show that unified front as faith leaders to say, look, we're in this together, no matter our denomination, uh, no matter our our doctrinal distinctions, uh, um, we are in this because this issue impacts us all. Now, several people have actually come up to me, you know, after, you know, that story ran, after we you made the announcement earlier in the week, and they were saying, this is amazing work that they're going to be doing. Are, are they going to have security? Are they concerned about their safety? And I even asked you that question mm-hmm. as well. So if you could talk about the dynamic, uh, the community dynamic and that faith that you have and all of that that allows you to fearlessly be on those streets, in those hot spots at night. You know, I think wisdom is always important and to have enough wisdom as you connect. So as we're looking at Northwest, as we're looking at Nicetown, as we're looking at parts of North Philadelphia, in Germantown, you have Brickyard, Dogtown, Haines Street, Happy Hollow. You have Somerville. Then you get over to East and West Oak Lane. In all of those areas, there are Christian leaders who are already doing work. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we're doing in, and in this initiative, I should say, is we, you know, we have about 30 faith leaders who are part of this from all of those areas. So last night when we were on Wingahawken, that corridor, we tapped into a resource right there at 16th and Wingahawken, which is uh, Bishop Stephen Avenger, his church. Okay. Uh, he's been a trusted faith leader serving that congregation for the last uh, 35 years. And so by having him and about 10 of the members of his church out there with us, those were known trusted faces from that community so that when we show up, we're not showing up by ourselves. We're showing up with, with people that are already known. Mm-hmm. That's one. Two, for those of us who are part of this initiative, we realize that there is a risk of being out at night. Mm-hmm. But this, this is our community. Right. We live in the communities we serve, many of us, or live in close proximity to the communities that we serve. We eat. We dine. We engage. Our, our members live within those spaces. And then the young men who are on the corners— Many of them are the grandchildren, the nieces, the nephews, the cousins of of members who are in our church. Some of them grew up in our churches, uh, and and it's our responsibility to go back and get them. We cannot be afraid of our own. I don't care how they are demonized or portrayed within the context of some communities or or some uh, some conversations or even sometime in the media. I think it's important that those of us who are who are part of the faith community, we have to remind folks that, that these are these are young men and young women, young kings, young queens, and we love them. And it is love that is leading us out there because truth is such was some of us. And but for the grace of God, you know, many of us are where we are today. And so we don't anticipate there being any problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we're being intentional to let folks know as we show up, we're here. We're here by ourselves. We're here out of love. And I think when we come with that, you know, that type of demeanor and that type of deportment and that type of heart posture, you're going to get that in return. Now, you did the pilot program last year for 30 days quietly. Um, and from what I understand, it was pretty successful and you had no incidents. Absolutely. During that time. Yeah. So we, we were out last year. There was uh, there was about 
a group of seven of us. Uh, there's a group that's doing amazing work uh, called GROWN, mm-hmm. which stands for Gaining Respect Over Our Own Worst Nights, uh, co-founded by two former juvenile lifers, Donnell Drinks, Don Ike Jones. One served 27 and a half years. The other served 26 and a half years uh, incarcerated, come home in the last three or four years and, and really doing some amazing work within the community, mentoring and doing reentry services work. Uh, and community service work, well-known in the community. We also had uh, several parents that had been uh, impacted by gun violence. Uh, Miss Terry Jenkins, who lost her son, Tajon Jenkins, in Mantua two years ago. We also had with us a mother, Michelle Parker, who lost her son June of last year. We went out in August. It was just two months after her son was murdered, and she was with us on the streets. And so we, we went out. Those mothers were able to share their stories with a couple other faith leaders as well. And then those two returning citizens were able to share those their stories. And many of those those individuals in those corners knew Ike and knew Donnell mm-hmm. uh, from, from the inside when they were upstate. They had a level of credibility around mentoring, around helping young men to change their lives, that we were embraced, one, because of our approach, two, because of the respect of those black women who are with us, and three, because of those giants, uh, Ike and Donnell, that was with us. And again, we came with, with that same approach, with love, with compassion, and we were received, and we went back to those corners, mm-hmm. and we continued to build those relationships, and where there were opportunities for us to help p- connect people to employment and other ser- social services, we did that, uh, and we, we continue to talk to some of those brothers uh, e- even right now. Kaisim, what's your reaction to what you're seeing the church doing on the corners, talking with people, helping people? My first initial reaction would be surprise because there isn't like a lot of black African-American males and females, mothers and fathers, et cetera, doing, going around the streets of Germantown and Nicetown of North Philly doing stuff like this, trying to get people to put the guns down and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. What are your, your, your classmates? I know you're in eighth grade. I know you've all heard the different stories, perhaps maybe know of some people that have lost friends. What are your friends talking about with regards to the gun violence in the city? There's a lot of my friends that haven't lost anybody to gun violence, okay. but I'm pretty sure they wouldn't want to. So right. my initial uh, assumption would be like they don't want anything to happen like that and stuff. Sure. Sure, I understand. One of the things I, I will share, I, I, I do some work with mathematics, civics, and science at School of Philadelphia uh, under the leadership of uh, founder and CEO, Dr. Veronica Joyner. Um, uh, mathematics in the last uh, few years uh, lost uh, six students to gun violence. Gratz High School, right in the Nicetown community, um, in the beginning of the school year, lost three students to gun violence. A fourth one was shot non-fatal. And then just two weeks ago, three students walking out of the school uh, were shot just walking across the street. Uh, There are young people at Gratz, at Mathematics, at Dobbins, uh, at King, at Auden Reed, Bartram, schools around our city. Uh, I remember having a conversation with a young man from uh, Auden Reed High School while speaking there one day who said, my walk home should only take me five minutes, but it takes me 20 minutes because I have to walk through alleyways 
to get from my school to my house because of rival groups that's in between. And so the, the decisions and the choices, the way that young people are, 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 are dealing with so much trauma and, and the exposure to gun violence and the fear of what could happen. Uh, our mentoring program went, uh, on Tuesdays, oftentimes we're going to get some snacks or something to eat right around the church uh, area where our building is uh, for the, uh, tailor-made opportunities. And I'm always sharing with the young men as they're walking out, keep your head on swivel. You know, we can play once we're inside these walls, but once we go out, I need you to pay attention to everything that's happening. Teaching them situational awareness, unfortunately, that should not have to be their case. They they should be able to just walk and be able to just play and and not have to worry about safety. But in this context, no matter the time of the day, anything could happen. Uh, and and certainly. Uh, you know, we're through our mentoring program, we're teaching so many life skills, but one of those life skills is situational awareness. Okay. And this is the Made Men Leadership Institute. Absolutely. And it's under the Taylor Made program. Kaisim Nicholson, you are uh, in the program. How long have you been in this particular program? This program, I've been in it for 14 weeks. And what have you been doing in the program so far? What have you learned? So far, I learned like what he was just talking about, situational awareness. Hmm always to be aware of your surroundings and, like, stay focused all the time, like, mm-hmm. when you outside right. because anything can happen anytime. Pastor, how did the kids come to you? How did they come to this program? So uh, through a relationship with uh, the, the Mary McLeod Bethune School under the leadership of Principal Aaliyah Bradley, I reached out to uh, Principal Bradley, uh, and Bethune is uh, our neighborhood school, uh, one of three neighborhood schools, K-8. You have Steel uh, elementary, you have um, Grover Cleveland, which is a mastery charter, and then we have uh, Mary Mary McLeod Bethune. Uh, we have an existing relationship with uh, the Bethune School, and so I reached out to Principal Bradley uh, and share with her this idea around the Made Men Leadership Institute. I wanted to support and serve young men from the 19140 zip code where Taylor Made Opportunities and Taylor Memorial Baptist Church exists. Uh, and so we have uh, about 10 young men. Who are part of who are part of our spring cohort, which just ended last last week? Uh, we're looking to uh, increase that number to twenty five for our summer p- cohort, uh, and then we're looking to increase that even more in the fall as we build our capacity, uh, both with uh, volunteers and other uh, support staff uh, for our mentoring program. And so, uh, Kasim is is one of several young men that I see every Tuesday uh, during the spring cohort. Uh, we met every Tuesday from 4 to 6 p.m. And then three Saturdays out of that spring cohort, we had curated learning experiences. We took boys down to Washington, D.C. None of them had been to Washington, D.C. Their first week, I gave them opportunity to share with me several places they wanted to go. New York City was one. Baltimore was another. Second experience, uh, we uh, we did a service project together. Uh, and uh, so we went to Chosen 300 Ministries, which is a homeless feeding ministry here in the city of Philadelphia. And the young men, again, they picked the project. Uh, and uh, on that Saturday, they served our homeless residents of Philadelphia. Right. And then the third experience, uh, and they didn't know this was coming. So uh, back in April, I took them to a suit store because we're all about being tailor-made. Oh. I took them to a suit store. And for many of them, it was the first time that they were in a suit. If I could just back up for one second. I think it was week two. Mm-hmm. I had all the boys stand up, and I went and found a, a really large suit jacket. Okay. And I had each one of them stand up in the front of our class, and I put the suit jacket on them. 
And they started laughing at each other because it, it was too big. And so okay. I asked the question. I said, why are y'all laughing? You know, what's going on here? And they said, well, look, it, it's too baggy. I said, well, what needs to happen in order for it to fit right? And they said, well, it has to be taken in. It has to be tailored. And so I uh-huh. said, well, that's what I'm looking to do with you all, emotionally and mentally and, and through life skills. Well, nonetheless, uh, they were able to each get their own suit, tailor-made. Tailor-made. Uh, and, uh, and so we took them to uh, a, a tailor. Um, they got fitted for their suits. And then our third experience on a Saturday, uh, on the day before Mother's Day, each of them took their, their mothers out on a date downtown in Rittenhouse Square. Mm-hmm. Uh, we picked a five-star restaurant. Um, moms met us there. We brought the boys down from TaylorMade Opportunities, our headquarters, uh, down uh, in a uh, in a Uber black SUV. I wanted them to have a five-star TaylorMade experience. Okay. Uh, and you could just see how they were sitting in the vehicle a whole lot different with different, the suit on. Right? You know, got out on <laughs> Walnut Street walking with, with a level of swag and confidence mm-hmm. uh, that they didn't even know was in them. I don't know if Kasim wants to talk about any of those experiences, but, but they also that. on uh, at, for Mother's Day made sure that their moms had flowers and they said words of affirmation and gratitude to their mothers for what, what their moms have done for them and what their mothers meant to them. Kaisim, tell me how your mom responded to that. That sounds awesome. I would love to have a day like that. Um, My mom responded like she was like really very happy because she knows that I'm all, I'm always somebody that's always going to be there and she's always somebody that's going to be there for me. Wow. So it was great to show your appreciation. How did she react to seeing you in your suit? Uh, it was like she was in a while. Like <laughs> She was like very excited. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Because it was like a little, it was a different experience for her. Now, do you, tell me about the experience that you're having uh, being part of the Made Men Leadership Institute. It's been 14 weeks. Um, It's been going good. It's, it is really inspiring because uh, Mr. Lamar is always somebody that we could go to and talk to over about our problems mm-hmm. and what we go through and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We have this little saying, so if I say this, he should know what to say. Taylor Made. When I was a child... I spoke as a child, I thought as a child, understood as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. So that's our motto at, at Made yeah. Men Leadership Institute, yes. and they, they recite that each and every Tuesday. And we have a mirror at TaylorMade. Their first few weeks, there are affirmations listed in that, in that mirror that says, I am a black king, I am mm. intelligent, uh, I know my history. I know my worth. I know my value. Right. Uh, encouraging them so that when they look at themselves in the mirror, they see something more than what the world say they are. Absolutely. I love that. Well, I understand that this Father's Day is going to be a special Father's Day. Tell me what's happening with the 100 Fathers March. Certainly. So back to the Corners to Connections initiative, a part of this initiative on June 19th uh, from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m., we're calling for 100 fathers, minimum 100 fathers, uh, to meet us at 8.30 p.m. Uh, at Taylor Memorial Baptist Church, 3819 Germantown Avenue in Nicetown. We're going we're gonna to do a peace march through uh, Erie, through Nicetown, up through Germantown, uh, past Wayne Junction into Germantown in that brickyard area. Then we're going to cut over to Happy Hollow on Wayne Avenue, and we're going to end at the Enon Tabernacle Baptist Church West location, which is 230 West Coulter Street. Uh, we believe, I mean, that is going to be a very positive and amazing experience f- for uh, both the community, 
but also for individuals standing on street corners to see fathers on Father's Day night Mm. walking through the community, uh, spreading love, spreading peace, encouraging folks to stop the violence. But also as we see young men, as we see uh, young adult men on the streets, we're going to approach them. We're going to show them some love. We're going to give them some depth. We're going to give them some hugs. We're going to tell them how much we care about them. In my program alone, many of our, our young men through Made Men Leadership Institute have no relationship with their fathers. Okay. When we talk to young men on the corners who just don't know their, their fathers, that frustration, that, that void is a real thing. And that anger that, that many young men have causes them to act out. And so when a mentor or a what old head or onk, whatever we call it now in mm-hmm. Philly, approaches you and just says, man, I love you. I care about you. You're needed. I need you here. How can I help you? We're going to have 100 men walking through the communities, just passing and spreading love to those who may not otherwise have it. And we believe that those seeds planted yes. will bear fruit at some point. Absolutely. I, I, You know, you were talking about people were saying, you know, where are the pastors? And some people are saying, well, where are the fathers? Absolutely. And here they are. Here they are. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope you get more than 100. I be, I am believing, I'm believing God that it's going to be more than 100. How can people find you and get in contact with you if they'd like to support or volunteer? G. Lamar Stewart Sr. at gmail.com. They can follow uh, TaylorMade Opportunities at, on Facebook and IG at We Are Taylor Made Philly. I uh, want to also share that on June 30th, last day of the Corners to Connections initiative, we're having a job fair called Corners to Connections Job Fair from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. at the Alney Terminal. Anybody we connect with on the corner that needs employment, needs victim services, needs trauma care, needs help with housing, school, any educational resources, we're going to have all those services set up. Well, this is incredible work um, that you, your colleagues, fellow pastors, clergy are doing, volunteers and supporters. Um, I wish you much success past June, uh, of course. And uh, Mr. Kasim Nicholson, uh, I am very impressed with you, young man. Much success to you and uh, your continued uh, educational endeavors. And um, G. Lamar Stewart, thank you so much for being on Bridging Philly. We appreciate your time. Thank you for having us. Well, Philadelphia is celebrating 50 years of pride, so get ready for all the fun and festivities. Sharaday Howard chats with the organizers of Philadelphia's Pride March and Festival. Philly Pride has been a main staple to Pride Month up and down the East Coast for more than five decades. And many travel from all across the country just to be a part of our legendary Pride March. And Ashley Coleman is not only the executive director of Galay, but also a keynote member of the PHL Pride Collective, an LGBTQ plus cooperative that's making history as the first black and brown queer organizers to lead Pride Month and the march. Because Coleman says that Pride doesn't belong to just one group. It's for all of us. Welcome to Bridging Philly, Ashley. And welcome to Galay. I'm so glad to be here. This is the first time I've been in the building and to do the interview here, it's a pleasure. Let's talk about all these colors. You didn't leave one in the crayon box. They're all here for everybody to see. I love it. The space couldn't be more fitting to the topic here today. So let's get started. Now you've gone on the record several times saying that pride belongs to everyone. Why do you want to drive that point home so much? No one owns pride. PHL Pride Collective does not own pride. We as a queer community own pride. So I encourage other organizers to start making other festivals throughout the city. We have an entire month that we should be 
celebrating and marching and talking to our legislators and making sure that the changes that need to be made for our community are made and also that we celebrate joy and we hug one another. Let's do it all throughout the city of Philadelphia. You wear several hats. Let's talk about some of those hats. Oh my goodness, I wear so many hats. So as an executive director, I do everything from writing grants to taking out the trash um, and also planning our major events. Pretty much anything you can think of, I, I take care of it. So let's talk about how you got here. Mm-hmm. You have been a community activist, all of the things rolled up into one, but how would you describe your ascent? Oh my goodness. So I started in our community as a large scale event producer and a bartender. I bartended for 20 years and kept me really close to community and made me really accessible to folks and their different stories and their different walks of life. Uh, So that's really my base. And I was a teacher. I taught high school history in North Philadelphia for many years. And it was my greatest love at the time. And then I moved on to the nonprofit world. And I was the general conference coordinator for the Philadelphia Trans Wellness Conference for many years. And that was my introduction to the nonprofit world. And it changed my life. I met so many incredible people and community leaders that taught me how to be a better person, how to be a better writer, how to be um, a better coordinator, and how to really be thoughtful and intentional around the spaces that I build. And from there, I'm now the executive director of Galay, which is now the greatest love of my life. I'm the first black executive director of Galay, and I am so proud, and I work every day to try and make our founder, David Acosta, proud, and Gloria Casares as well. So let's talk about the long, beautiful history of Galay and how you fit so perfectly in to it. Who are your mentors? Oh my goodness. So of course, Gloria. Gloria is in the heart of our building and in everything that we do. And I'm grateful to David every single day. We are in communication consistently around our programming and and what we can do to serve our community. So Galay was founded 33 years ago, and it was really birthed out of the HIV and AIDS crisis to confront what was a disproportionate reaction to care for Latinx folks specifically. Galay was always serving all folks of color, but when I came on, our board and our staff really wanted to make it explicit that we are here for every person of color. So we evolved into a QT BIPOC or queer, trans, black, indigenous, and people of color, radical social justice organization. And what does radical mean in the context of the communities? And that also means constantly changing what we're doing, really looking at what are the community needs and meeting that at the moment. So when the pandemic hit, I I came in as ED during the pandemic and um, I loaded all of our staff into Ubers and we got our first shots all together as a family. And we said, we need to make sure we bring this to folks. So we started running vaccine clinics and now we are an at-home test distribution site. So you can come here and pick up as many COVID tests as you want. Uh, We saw that folks in our community didn't have access to pregnancy tests or HIV testing. So we started offering at-home pregnancy tests and HIV tests and anything that we can get into the hands of people. Right around the holidays, we started talking about food insecurity. So that meant doing major food drives and dropping off boxes throughout North Philadelphia. So folks had food to eat, not only during the holidays, but afterwards where there's that gap where no one is is providing the nourishment that our people need. And one of the greatest joys that we have here is we all cook for each other once a week. 
And during these weekly uh, lunches that we do together, sometimes we talk about work, sometimes we talk about our lives, but often it births a new initiative. So from one of those lunches, we started talking about summer camp and how it's incredibly inaccessible to our folks here in the city, especially children of color and children of queer parents or queer children and trans children specifically. And so we created a free Camp Galay and we put that on last year, was our first Camp Galay. We had 33 kiddos between the ages of eight and 12, took them all over the city, uh, swimming lessons and rock climbing, all of that fun stuff so they can just live their best queer lives. And this year we are actually expanding those ages to include teenagers. So we'll have two different cohort camps, one for our kiddos and then one for our teens uh, so they can learn how to swim and be able to play and experience just being a kid in around folks that love them, look like them, share their experiences and care. I wish I had that when I was a kid. Me too. Like <laughs> LGBTQ camp? Okay. I know it was really sweet. We uh we got to see some of our twelve year olds have their first little little baby relationships and crushes, and I was like, oh my goodness, my heart is so full. <laughs> it's really evident how naturally you, being a teacher and also the executive director of Galay, fit perfectly into you being a keynote member of the PHL Pride Collective. Mm, that's really kind of you to say. Yeah, being a teacher, once you are an educator, you are always an educator, forever. It's just in a different capacity. And I think that being a, I was also an out teacher. It was really important to me that my students all knew that I was out. And so coming into this role, I took all of the lessons that I learned from my youth and also my colleagues. Uh, and in their areas of, of opportunity or in their gaps, uh, I was teaching them gender 101s in, in our lunch periods and really seeing how there was a lack of knowledge even around HIV care and a lot of misconceptions still today in, in 2022, not only with our youth, but with adults. And so taking all of that and being able to bring it into the nonprofit space has been a beautiful marriage. Um, and I learned so much from my staff every day. My, uh, my entire organization is all under 40 years old. Um, and myself and my deputy director are the, the oldest ones in the org in our 30s. The rest of the staff are in their 20s, which is, means we learn every day. What, what do the youth of today need and how can we meet that need? So that goes right back to what you were speaking about in terms of following the trend and you having to meet that immediately. So this is how you do it. You make sure that you're kind of boots on the ground. Absolutely. And literally boots on the ground. So we march in protests as an organization. We were down in D.C. protesting in front of the White House against the incarceration at the border and not giving access to trans women to their you know, medication that is life-saving. Um, and we went as a full staff and our, some of our staff members brought their children as well. So this is not just about someone, one person. This is really about everyone. And you're trying to make this intergenerational, which I love. So let's talk about the future, the future of Galay. The future of Galay is, is bright. Um, we're looking to expand our staff. We want to provide more services. We want to make sure that we are taking care of our trans kids specifically. Our trans kids are under attack right now. Uh, we're looking into how we can support reproductive rights uh, as we see the possibility of repealing Roe, uh, which is frightening. And so how can we support our 
queer and trans folks in all of these movements. Um, so that's that's the future of Calais is expanding bigger. Uh, we're also going to be taking over our third floor here in the building soon. So literally our footprint is expanding as well. Now let's get down and dirty. Let's talk pride. It's here. Now what do people have to look forward to? June 5th is PHL Pride March and Festival, which uh, PHL Pride Collective is a community program of Galay. It is really driven by the collective members, which are all community activists and, and leaders. And uh, the programming has been put together to be incredibly intentional. I do want to tell you a few components of the festival that are really exciting and brand new this year. So we have a complete sober space uh, and a dry bar. So they'll have mocktails and that's at Writer's Block. We'll have a full stage and robust performances and DJs and a dance floor. Our sober stage is probably gonna be the most lit out of every space in the festival, which is so exciting. Um, We've expanded youth and family, video game trucks and bounce houses, a space for babies, chest feeding and changing tables. We've got 80 porta potties, 50 of which are accessible wash stations. And we also have a low sensory relaxation zone, which is really geared towards our elders and uh, folks living with physical disabilities or even invisible disabilities. Or maybe you just want to get away from the crowds. So we'll have cooling stations and free water, snacks, comfortable furniture and shade structures. So that's really exciting. We're also going to have a memorial piece to all of the folks that have come before us that couldn't be with us at Pride this year in our 50th anniversary. And one of the other exciting new spaces this year is Kiki Alley, which is being curated by Jason Bowman, the legendary Jason Bowman, where we are going to really highlight the ballroom community and uplift our our black and brown expressions of art and music and dance. So tell me a little bit about how Pride is going to be different this year. Why is it so important that you be a part? Mm. So Philadelphia is a predominantly black and brown city, and the leaders of all of our movements should be reflective of the populations that are most impacted um, by what is happening in our world. So for the first time in the history of Philadelphia, Pride is being run entirely by black and brown, queer and trans folks. It is historic. And being part of history, making history, creating history, is um, something that Galay has has made a, a focus throughout the 33 years. We look at all of the ups and downs of the community in the past two years. We've got the pandemic, we have people deciding this is necessary, this isn't necessary. You say, this is the time, this is our moment. You made a space for everyone. And it's not that it's just for black and brown people, it's that it's inclusive of black and brown people. Absolutely. This is a space for everyone. And it's really about uplifting the most marginalized, making sure that folks that often don't get a microphone, get that microphone in their hand, and they also get paid for it. So making sure that our performers who are often left off performance lists are up on that stage and in all of their glory. But we want to wrap our arms around all of our community, which is really why we're going with a community resource model. And so this year we have therapists on site, social workers to do de-escalation services, doctors and nurses to provide the medical services for all of our attendees that may, you know, scrape their knee or something along those lines. Um, We've been so intentional to make sure we've brought in all different components that really is a care model. We even have therapy dogs this year, so folks can uh, sit and and just hang out and, and feel chill. And this year you did something different with security. Can you tell me about that? Absolutely. So we have a private security company called Engage. They are founded by a queer person of color 
and another queer person. Um, and they are well-trained. They worked with me for the Philadelphia Trans Wellness Conference, and they also uh, are deeply ingrained in our queer community. So they have done not only many festivals and music engagements, but they also are the security team for Mizoni Center. And so they are co consistently doing de-escalation trainings, gender trainings, and making sure that they are really up to date with the language and what we need as a population and a, as a people. And you've recently had a special honor. So I am one of the city and state Pride Power 100. This is my first year being on the list. I am unbelievably honored. It's incredible to be among so many leaders and activists and folks that I have gone to so, for so many years for advice and have been my mentors and seeing so many beautiful folks that are making change in our community. And to be on a list with those people is, it's a gift. And now all of this culminating to Pride Month. How is the PHL Pride Collective setting the stage for change in the city with these events? All these different areas and experiences. The other piece is that it is really important to really zone in on who are the most impacted, who are the most vulnerable to the ex external attacks or even sometimes internal uh, attacks. Because just because you're gay, just because you're queer, doesn't mean that you can't be racist or transphobic or, um, you know, or a misogynist. These are all things that can live inside of any one of us. And so it is really important that we're taking a microscope and looking at who are the folks who are the most impacted and how can we change everything? How can we change the structures around them so that we make sure we're taking care of our people? So speaking to change, what do you have to say to those out there who think maybe this year it's too different? It's just too different. It's not the same. It's not what I'm used to. Speak to change for me here. Change is beautiful. We are a city of history, but we are a city of change. Philadelphia has always been on the forefront of change and making sure that we are the blueprint for the rest of the nation on how we can do things better. How can we take care of each other together better? Changes can be scary, but it also means there's more opportunity for you to see yourself authentically in all of your intersecting identities. And that's what Pride's all about. That is exactly what Pride's all about. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And that's our newsmaker. Look forward to every week in the month of June, we'll be highlighting an LGBTQ plus member of the community who's shaking things up. So get ready to clutch your pearls. I'm Charity Howard. Happy Pride Month. At Devereaux Advanced Behavioral Health, we exist to change lives by unlocking and nurturing human potential for people living with emotional, behavioral, or cognitive differences. We were founded in 1912 by a special education teacher in South Philadelphia, and since then, we've been treating the most vulnerable members of the population in the same way we would treat our own families. To learn more about our evidence-based, trauma-focused care for children, adolescents, and adults, visit Devereaux.org. The Philly Rising Changemaker of the Week. Presented by Devereaux Advanced Behavioral Health. Hey y'all, KYW's Antoinette Lee here with this week's Philly Rising Changemaker. This week we're highlighting a father, a West Philly native, and an educator who saw a need for a mentoring program, and so he created it. The group is called Mentor Leaders Produce Mentor Leaders, and here's how they're changing the lives of young boys and men. Vincent, first of all, thank you so much for joining us on Bridging Philly this week. 
Thank you so much. Uh, a pleasure. Happy to be invited. So excited to talk about the work that you've been doing in the community for a while now. So tell us about your mentoring program. So my mentoring program uh, was essentially designed and created about uh, five, it's going on six years now. Um, it was designed and implemented for uh, to fill a void, to fill a need. Um, seeing a need and, and decided to fill a void and created a nonprofit organization designed for youth. I'm going to have youth as young as 10 years old, but primarily the age group I really focus on is 16, ages uh, 16 to 24. My young men are scattered across the city, um, South Philly, West Philly, North Philly, you name it. They're, they're here and they bring their friends as well. So it's kind of like it becomes a village and a family, but I'm spread out across the city of Philadelphia, not one particular section. A lot of them are trying to figure out what next steps are. Outside of school, a lot of them are graduating and they're kind of like undecided, unsure and uncertain about um, next steps. And they bring their friends for guidance and support and resources that I'm able to offer. So it went from 60 consistently to now 60 to 100 um, any given day of the week. You come see me. I'm just surrounded by a bunch of great, handsome young men. You mentioned that uh, more students have been coming to see you. They hear about it from their friends. They're taking an interest in this program. What is it? It is me willing to listen and not judge me willing to. Uh, support, be willing to just give and just be there for them, whether that means a phone call at 11 o'clock and you're just saying I'm up and I can't sleep. It gets into a conversation. So me just being available for them and not being absent because a lot of them do have inconsistencies in their life. They have uh, parents who are just not available and not there for whatever the circumstance may be. And just someone being available and able to listen and offer them something. Um, I feel like that's the part that's, that's missing is that, okay, I know the problem, I know the issues you're going through. I can understand and talk you through it, but what am I offering after that? Like after the conversation is over, what are you able to hang on to? And I feel like for me, I'll make it a family. It's, it's a no judge zone. That's what I call it. And, and my program is youth run. So many different hats I wear, but to see it is like, it is the true village. And you see the ones that do have a strong village, you see the success. And the ones that do not, you see like where they need that push and where they don't have it. You can see it. I'm blessed and honored to for them to just allow me to be a part of their lives. Like I'm honored like to just, it's a blessing. It really is. Yeah. So let's talk about some of your story um, and background. It seems like you have a real passion for this and you've been doing it for a few years. So tell us about how you got to start this program and what intrigued your interest. And just filling the void, not having a father in my life kind of like really drove my passion for young men deeply because I know some of the things I needed. And if I did have that, I know where I would have been. But everything happens for a reason. Me not having that and using it as motivation to fuel me to create a, a nonprofit organization to support the young men who was once me. Issues everywhere. But I started at home. I started with my neighbors and cousins and nieces and nephews and people that have seen me grow. And now they're able to say, I know a guy who can help support my niece now or my nephew now. Reach out to Mr. Garrett and he'll be. So I'm always, I always love to be that that point person and that guy, whether it's in my family or in the community. So it's like I want to say it's it's, it's, it's a lot of weight, but it's, it's, it's worth it. It's worth it. Um, and before we talk about some of the challenges, um, because I know that the youth are seeing a lot of challenges these days. Um, I want to talk about the positive. Uh, I'm seeing you posting uh, some accomplishments on Instagram. And it's so wonderful to see that, you know, kids out here striving to be the best that they can be despite the obstacles uh, that they may face. Tell us about some of the things that you all are you're proud of. That's a part of it. I always tell them, I always try to fuel and, and empower you guys to come with the positive. So one just go back to my group sessions. The first thing we do when we come down, we greet each other and we sit down and we talk about what was your positive for today? 
like a whole an entire day went past about seven hours went past and everyone sits down whether you're a guest or whoever you are we share the positive i want to narrate the positive first and i want to make sure i feel you and empower you enough to speak on the positive my young men are going to different high schools across the city we have uh archbishop we have saint joe's prep we have boys latin we have oh it, it's so many it's so many different schools but i'm just i'm so excited central I'm so excited for what's to come for these young men. Um, and I've been able to have them when they were younger and having videos and, and documenting certain things, speaking when I get to high school, I'm going to be blah, blah, blah. But now I have it on footage and I have tape. So now I'm able to really hold you accountable to what you say and it's on tape. So now I'm like, I'm checking and checking off my boxes um, to make sure they're doing exactly what they said they would do because that's what a man stands on his word. So you gave me your word and it's on tape. So now you have to go to high school and excel the best possible so there's a lot of highlights going on it's a lot of celebrations going on it's, it's an exciting time um even though some people may feel like it's gloomy and it's a dark time it's, it's exciting for mentor leaders right now and so let me ask how can you tell that your program is working how can you tell that you're changing lives when i went from 60 to 100 and i had those same young men and i was able to hold, hold them to the same expectations as the 60 that was there prior because they laid out the foundation this is Mr. Garrett, but this is what he does stand for. And this is what he wants to see. So if you're here in this space, you have to abide by these rules and they fall in line. No matter if I had them one time or they came three times for a mentoring session because they were in high school and participated in other activities, but they do come, they follow the same expectations. So they understand what I stand for and what I mean. Um, so just being that 60 to 100, I'm saying numbers matter, but if they're willing to come and come back, that means something. That's saying something. They walked away with something. That conversation, that mentoring session, it hit a spot in them and they decided to come back. So a kid by the name of Tajir Norris, my push for him was always to be faithful and consistent and be the man and the young man and the person you say you are and stand by your word and excel at everything you do. Just try your hardest. And we had a moment. Um, he got accepted to St. Joe's Prep. It was $25,000 a year and he didn't have the money. And we were speaking to mom. He did like a GoFundMe, did like a post on Instagram. We're doing different things. I'm problem solving on my head, reaching out to other people, just trying to see like what it is. And lo and behold, St. Joe's Prep decided to give him a scholarship for $22,000 a year. So $3,000 are left over. But I tell him all the time, be faithful. You're a good young man and blessings do come your way. I am an example of that. And I stayed on top of him everything and i tell them the mission is not done you did what you were supposed to do be proud of yourself celebrate but now you're going to see Joe's prep and they give you the scholarship so now you're really going to have to raise the bar and, and exceed these expectations and i know he will i know he has the potential to be whatever he wants to be in life but that moment like him just consistently conversing mr garrett is what i need i don't i'm unsure i'm uncertain this happened in school today and i don't know how to problem solve this because this being available I feel like was it was was really the key for him, um, just being a fellow and being there and just listening to. I'm so glad we were able to share that story because that's really special and it really shows impact um, and the work that you're doing out here, boots on the ground with these kids. So let's talk about now some of the challenges um, that you're facing. I know every year it's summer comes around and we see more and more kids involved in gun violence. And it's really hard to, to report on that, but to, to know what these kids are facing and you see this every day, what are you mm -hmm. seeing? Mental trauma. Um, I see, and I'm just going to be very honest about that. It's, it's definitely a lot of mental trauma. 
and it's, it's not being addressed. Um, it's not being addressed at all because, like I, I, I say, there's so many different ways to to problem solve and create a solution, and one is not killing somebody, taking someone else's life. There's so many different things you could do to intervene, to stop, to hinder, to slow down, whatever, whatever that thing is, there's so many different things you can do to, before that happens, to take someone's life. So it's a, it's a lot of trauma. I feel like it's a lot of trauma. I feel like um, just allowing youth to speak. Some of them are just upset. Um, some of them are uncertain of their future. Or some of them don't see a future. Um, and I, I just let them talk and you'll you come up with a lot of answers. And it, it does explain a lot but it does doesn't justify um, taking lives. But I think like the, the mental therapy trauma aspect is just not being addressed. There's not enough energy being invested, time, money, being invested in that area. Um, this crisis as this emergency, this call to action, I'm looking at it from the lens of a mentor. I'm looking at it from the lens of an educator. I'm looking at it from the lens of a parent. Um, unfortunately, uh, Two of my young men were involved in an incident um, of gun violence um, recently, maybe a week ago. Um, I've been there every step of the way. And um, it, it goes to show that you have programs to prevent these type of situations, but you can't stop it. Um, the only thing you can do is continue to work forward and, and try to plan for it and try to plan, execute and see everything else so this doesn't happen again. Um, I know that this experience with those two put life into perspective. Um, we had conversations offline where they were like, Mr. Garrett, I understand what you do and why you do and what you say over and over again, why you do it to prevent this. And I tell them, yes, I do. But ultimately, it's your decision what you want to do with your life and your decision making. You know, so we, we hear that you're doing the work, right? Uh, you're doing the work that it takes. Um, to empower our kids, to empower the leaders, um, to lift up their lives. For those of us who are wondering, you know, what can we do? What do we do? People listening, they're like, they hear these stories and they're like, what can I do about the issues that are happening in our city? How do we save our kids? Time. A lot of people say money, time, time. I'm one man with a group of young men. Shout out to my brother who's always available when I need him. Time. Men, a few days a week. Give me a few days a week. Give me, give me three hours a week. Give me three hours a week to devote and sacrifice your time to be with the young man. Give me three hours a week. Three hours a week. And for other people who aren't willing to do so, visit my website, sponsor a kid. www.mlpml.org www.mlpml.org. I have Cash App. I have Venmo. Whatever you name, it's, it's all there. It's, it's a part of what you're willing to do. I have merch. You don't want to give money? Buy a hoodie. Buy a t-shirt. All proceeds go to the youth. I keep nothing. Because once again, this is not being funded. So I keep nothing directly to them. So if you want to be available and support, offer some time. Offer some time. Oh, that would be greatly appreciated. If not, Visit the website, sponsor a kid, cash app, whatever you feel the need. It, it, Instagram, you can DM me and we can take it from there. If you have an activity, you have an event that you feel like would be beneficial to them, send me a DM on Instagram, MLPML3701 on Instagram, MLPML3701 
on IG. Send me a DM. Follow the page. Share it. Like it. That's it for this week's Philly Rising Changemaker of the Week. If you know a changemaker we should highlight next, someone making a difference in your community, you can submit their name at kywnewsradio.com slash phillyrising. Again, that's kywnewsradio.com slash phillyrising. I'm also very easy to find on Twitter at ARLeonAir. So send me your ideas. I want to hear them. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for joining us on Bridging Philly, brought to you by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Be sure to connect with us on Twitter at Bridging Philly and with me at Raquel on Air. And please, of course, subscribe to the podcast. For Antoinette Lee, Shower Day Howard, and our producer, Arian Fulcher, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well. <laughs> <laughs>